G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let's take a few moments to have a little exploration of some of the challenges that people face when they have chosen to follow God in such a way as they'll become missionaries into sometimes what are very harsh environments. We're back today with missionary Ross Jones, who has written his autobiography. It's in his new book called Aspires to Lofty Heights. And all was not rosy over a 50-year career as a missionary. And even though there were so many wonderful things to draw attention to, like the full translation of an entire Bible for a people group, the Boko people in the Benin Republic, and the working on dictionaries and books to help people with their understanding of how stories relate to biblical themes. Well, let's talk about some of the hardships today and a special welcome back to 2020 to Ross Jones. Ross, welcome. Thank you very much, Neil. Ross, it was not all rosy. It was not all easy. And on an earlier conversation, we talked about you living in a mud hut and not having the sort of technologies that we might think make our lives a little easier these days. But it wasn't all just about lifestyle. You actually uh, you actually dealt with all sorts of challenges physically and with your own health. Take us into uh, the idea of being completely paralysed at one point. Yes, well, uh, West Africa used to be called the white man's grave um, because uh, the early missionaries that went there, a lot of them... Uh, didn't make it home. Thankfully, with the medication for malaria, uh, that made things much better. But uh, we had uh, lots of diseases to deal with out there in Benin Republic. Uh, The only inoculation that was obligatory was for yellow fever, and we didn't really see any of that. But my wife and I both had hepatitis. We had uh, bacillary dysentery, uh, amoebic dysentery, there's quite a few eye infections. Uh, I, I remember having filaria, a little worm that was um, running around in my body and producing millions of tiny microscopic eggs. Um, but my paralysis, um, that was the most serious problem that I ever had. I just woke up one morning and I was having my breakfast and I found that uh, I was having difficulty swallowing the porridge, which... Um, was unusual and then I noticed that when I tried to look to the side to the left or the right the muscles in my eyes weren't working and I had to really turn my head to see what was on the left or the right. My wife and I are a bit concerned with this and we uh, sent a message up to a missionary who was 25 kilometres away and he said well I'd better take it to the local SIM hospital. When I say local uh, it was 200 kilometres away When I got to the hospital, they thought I may have had polio, but all the symptoms were not fitting the situation. They thought it might have been botulism. I was there for a week, and my body was getting weaker and weaker all the time. 
And I think when I went there, I could still walk, but I couldn't walk up steps. And uh, during that week, uh, I lost the ability to talk and also to go to the toilet either way. Uh, after one week, they thought they'd better send me over to uh, an SIM hospital in Nigeria because uh, they didn't know what else to do. Um, so I was flown there by light aircraft. Our mission had light aircraft at that time. They flew me to this hospital in Jos in central Nigeria. Again, they did lots of tests on me, and um, I was just lying on the bed, completely paralysed. I couldn't, I couldn't lift my arm up. I couldn't shake somebody's hand. They had to feed me through my nose. After a week, they thought the only thing that's working is his heart and his lungs, and we don't have um, what they call the iron lungs in those days. So they decided I'd be evacuated to London. Uh, so I was flown over the Sahara Desert to London. Uh, when I got to the hospital in London, fortunately they put me in an NHS hospital so I didn't have to pay anything. They went through lots of different diseases. They, they, they thought I had Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a paralysis that happens some months after, after a virus infection. One of the doctors there, he said, I'd like to show you to my students because it was a teaching hospital. He said, do you mind if I take you down to the classroom because they, they won't have seen somebody with this condition before. So they took me down there. He took my leg out from under the blanket and he said, I'm, I'm going to test his reflexes and uh, I don't think he'll have any reflexes for the next six months. He tapped me just below the knee and there was a slight reflex. He immediately um, told him, put, put my leg back under the blanket. He said, sorry, wrong diagnosis. Now, in, in the end, they got some uh, experts on poisons to come and interview me, and they said, we just want you to answer three questions. And one of their questions was, did you eat chicken that had eaten mouldy grain? Now, I had a 44-gallon drum with corn in it, and uh, in the tropical climate out there, uh, sort of, water sort of formed on the inside of the drum and gone down and some of the corn had sprouted and eventually formed mould. Well, I didn't really think much about it and I just fed it to the chickens. So their final diagnosis was that my paralysis was the result of me eating chicken and eating mouldy grain. They said, don't go doing that again. And so how long did it take you to recover, Ross? Uh, well, I had to stay in England for a couple months after I got out of hospital because they said that uh, they didn't want me to go back into the hot uh, tropical climate of Benin until all the symptoms were finished. So it took another couple of months before my eyes, I think, were the last thing to uh, recover. When you are when on the bed paralysed, what's going through your mind? What are you asking of God? Because you think God has given me this opportunity, I've responded, I'm going to serve him on the mission field and I might never recover. What's going through your mind when you're questioning God about these things? Uh, I'm a very optimistic person. I wasn't really worried at any time except when I was in this hospital in Jos and the uh, Nigerian director of SIM came to my bedside and he said, we're going to have to evacuate you to London 
and my heart sank at that point, and I think a tear formed in my eye. But apart from that, I was my usual confident self. <laughs> when I got back to Benin Republic, there was a rumour that had gone around. People thought that I was dead to start off with. And then the rumour got around that it was a witch doctor up the road from where I lived who had put a curse on me, or he claimed that he had put this curse on me because he said, I'm, cur I'm putting curses on people and they're going to this white man to his clinic and he's giving them medicine and, uh, and healing them. So he said, if this white man's going to do this to the people that I'm putting a curse on, I'll put a curse on him. And you came back so, well, fit and well. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm waiting till um, eternity till, to find out just actually what happened. It's not just your own health issues. Your wife and you raised four children too on the mission field, but your wife had a devastating struggle with rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, she had one of the worst cases the doctors had seen. It didn't start until after we came home in 1985. But when it did start, it really progressed quickly. It started in her fingers and toes. But then after some years, every, every joint in her body was affected, including her jaws. She had uh, knee replacements. She's had hip replacements, shoulder replacements. She really suffered. And uh, we don't understand that one just why um, the Lord allowed this to happen to her. And, um, of course, she found it difficult because after we came back, to Australia, to Melbourne, to live. I wanted to continue my translation work in Nigeria, which meant me doing trips for six weeks, uh, twice a year. But she put it all before the Lord and um, she agreed that I should go ahead and do that. And fortunately, her parents came and lived near where we are so they could help her out. But um, that was a real struggle that we had. Uh, she came to the conclusion that um, the Lord allowed this to happen in her life. She was a great encourager and blessing to many other people. She could just sit with them for five minutes and they'd be pouring out their problems to her because she had such a sympathetic heart and she could, um, you know, get on their wavelength. Ross, is your wife and still she, with us? No, she died 10 years ago. And she had this similar attitude to you, that if you were going to serve God in mission, you knew that you would have to put up with hardships. And it's not just hardships like living in a mud hut, uh, not having modern technologies, but uh, this idea too, that you would also be exposed to all sorts of uh, disease and sickness that may actually affect the work that you're doing. And yet you recognize in some level of humility that is beyond a lot of us, that somehow or other, that whatever happens, you're going to be committed to what God was calling you to do. Yes, well, um, you know, my wife and I, we knew each other before I went to the mission field. Um, and when the Lord called me, I finished my Bible school as quickly as possible. Uh, I was thinking of doing some further studies, but uh, I abandoned that. And... Uh, Joy, who was my fiancée at the time, I knew that she, she'd just done a teaching and she had a, a bond for two years she had to teach because the government had paid for her studies. She also had 
done Bible school yet and she'd need to, to be a career missionary, she'd have to go to Bible school for two years. So we agreed that I would go to the mission field for four years and then after that four years, if we still both felt the same way about each other, then we'd come out there as um, or go back as a married couple. So I had to propose to my wife from the mission field, but with a letter, which took a month to get to her and another month for her re- reply to come back. And in that letter, I said, you know that the Lord's called me to be a missionary and I feel really obligated and uh, as the Lord has given me this great responsibility, I said, if you marry me, you know that it's going to uh, mean living quite a few years over here in West Africa, to which he agreed to. And Ross, in your autobiography, you want to encourage people with your story to be inspired to make their mark for the Lord who gave his all for them or gave his all for us. So to make sacrifices, to put yourself in harm's way, to face the dangers, to face even disease, uh, you're prepared to do that. I wonder whether there's something here you can reflect on for younger people who are thinking about a life-serving God in mission. What are the words of wisdom that you would sow into the lives of a young person having gone through what you've done in 50 years serving God in mission? Well, as I said before, I believe that I've, I've led a charmed life. You know, I've got a wonderful family. I've got uh, my four sons. I've got 12 grandchildren. I've just loved my work all my life. And that, I mean, it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a wonderful feeling when you feel that you're doing what God wants you to do and you're enjoying what you're doing. The only advice I can give is if, when I became a Christian at 22, I thought, well, if I'm going to be a, a Christian now, I want to be a real Christian. I want to do everything right. I want to be completely in the Lord's hands. And that's why I just surrendered my life to him completely like that. And the result has been wonderful. The Lord has been faithful uh, in everything. Ross, you are an inspiration and you've recorded your story in your autobiography. It's called Aspires to Lofty Heights. And we've had a number of conversations now around different dimensions. There's so much to talk about. But for listeners who want to be inspired, that everything is not rosy in serving in mission. And there are risks and there are dangers. Uh, Ross, you are an inspiration because you're able to take whatever comes in knowing that you are serving God to your fullest extent to your giving your whole heart as much as you can it's called aspires to lofty heights you can get it on amazon it's available at barnes and noble and ross jones just great getting your insights once again thank you so much for sharing you these thoughts and your heart with us on 2020 yes it's my pleasure thank you very much Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.